So thank you for uh, being a, I feel appreciated, let's put it that way. And uh, for Phil and Nick, I'm glad we have a team and as well as the rest of the ministry staff that, that I, God has, has brought me here. I'm more convinced than ever that, that as Gary said, that, that this is not just a position that I happen to fall into, but the Lord of the universe has ordained and brought us together. And I'm, I'm convinced this morning that God brought you here. For whatever reason you're here, whether you're a regular part of East Glenville or whether you're, you just wanted to try out a church today and you happen to walk in or you know someone here, I believe God has something to say to you. Um, and it may be directly some, something I preach on, or it may be even as I preach, the Holy Spirit will, will kind of say something to you apart from that. So let's be ready to hear what, what God has to say this morning. Um, I remember when at a previous church, when, when Katie was still, I'd say a toddler by then, before Lizzie was born, there was a couple at the church who just just started coming. And it was a, a young couple and their, their, their baby. And Cheryl and I were young and we wanted to try to build a young family kind of group. And so we invited them to dinner at our humble little house that we had. And um, I don't even remember their names or any, anything other than um, that we had chicken. I remember we had chicken. She made a salad with cut up Snickers in it. There you go. We, with that, that, that we remember. Um, but uh, as the dinner went on, we were talking, and somehow the issue of alcohol came up. Actually, I think the, the, the guy brought it up. And he was adamantly convinced that, that any drinking of alcohol was sinful, a sin. And just so you know, I, I believe the Bible clearly teaches that drunkenness is a sin and that we should not be you know, getting drunk, um, but that alcohol in itself is not inherently sinful, that you can, um, you can partake as Jesus drank wine in his day and that that's not inherently wrong, uh, but that you should also use wisdom and not, not let your freedom to drink cause someone else to stumble. And that, that's kind of where I stand. But, but this young man, and maybe he had a reason why he had, is a previous issue, but he, he wanted to press this upon me. And we went through verses, and he talked about how well it says alcohol is a poison in, in some verse. And he, you know, how could anything that's a poison be of God? And, and, and when I wouldn't agree with him, he kind of got angry. And, um, yeah, it was just, it, it kind of struck me. Um, and so when he and his girlfriend and their baby were at our house for dinner a thought occurred to me, like, like there's other sins, right? Like, like you're supposed to wait until you're married before you have babies. Like that's the, the plan that the scriptures outline. And, and, you know, it's not like I was going to press him on that. We were happy to see, you know, him, you know, get involved in church and find God's grace in that. But I wondered if he, he could see clearly what he saw as one sin, and yet was missing something that was other sins that may be glaring in his life. And it illustrates what we want to talk about today, what our passage talks about today, is is how easy it is to see the wrongs that others do 
and yet somehow be oblivious or not seem to, to, to note as much when we are in error, when we have done wrong. Um, last Sunday, we, we talked about how in amidst conflict, we often end up in a horizontal focus, right? We're looking at people, we're seeing what they do, and you can get in this thing of, you know, blame and hurt and blame and hurt, and that the response, that first response we really need to do is get to higher ground, the higher ground of the gospel, remembering that God has brought forgiveness into our life, and we need to have that same heart and attitude toward whomever we're interacting with. So that was last Sunday. Today I want to kind of go a little bit further and talk about how part of working through conflict is getting real about ourself and being willing to examine our own motives and our own actions, probably also our words, and see where we may have played a part in the conflict that is developing and, and be, be honest and take a good look at our own self. And so that's, rather than play the blame game and looking at them, we need to get God's view, a higher perspective, and we also need to look at ourselves. So we have a little video that may help illustrate that this morning. Hey, Bill, how was your weekend? Hey, Bob. Boss plugged in? Um, no, I don't. You said you were going to send me the worksheet, remember? I was going to plug them in on that. But I need those numbers today. I have that meeting with finance this afternoon. You knew that, right? Well, yeah, but I didn't have the worksheet, so I couldn't do it. I was waiting on you. You can plug the numbers in on that worksheet anytime. Well, yeah, I know, but you didn't tell me to do that. Remember, you said you were going to send me that worksheet, so I'd only have to enter them once. We talked about that. That was the whole point of the worksheet, only having to do it once. That's fine for you, but now I'm going to look stupid because we're the only group that doesn't have its numbers done because you didn't do that. Oh, hey, wait a minute. That's not fair. This isn't my fault. You didn't send me that worksheet, and you didn't tell me to work on the numbers without it. Look, I need those numbers today. I'm going to go talk to Mike and get an extension, and when I get back, we're going to talk about this. Bill, I need to know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. It's funny. I was thinking the exact same thing. So we see how conflict can work. You were supposed to do this. They each see the thing the other was supposed to do or not do. And that's where it ended. Our passage that um, we're looking at this morning is Matthew 7. And I want us to think about it from the perspective of conflict. I think sometimes we read it, you know, as a righteousness thing, and and there's certainly value in that, but think about it in terms of this discussion of how we have conflict in our relationships. And it starts with 7.1, it says, judge not that you not be judged, you be not judged, right? Do not judge. That is the one verse that anyone can seem to quote. In fact, I watched a movie, and I heard it quoted in that movie recently, like, it's just everyone seems to know that, and we should know we should never try to correct anyone because, you know, don't tell me how, how I'm doing wrong. Um, don't tell me that what I'm doing is unwise or foolish. That is not the intent of what Jesus is saying. There are times to, to, to try to correct and help people get past things. It doesn't mean that we're not, we don't discern between what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. But what does it mean? Well, one time... Jesus 
someone brought a complaint to Jesus. says, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. This is in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus said, who made me judge over you? Like he doesn't respond. Like he doesn't take the role of a judge to settle this dispute. Instead, Jesus went on to talk about how um, beware of the danger of, of covetousness or greed, you know, of wanting more and more. In fact, Jesus talked about a, a parable that had to do with that. In other words, go to the heart issue. I'm not the judge in this case. And I think he's warning us about taking the role of judge and fixing other people, of deciding they're in the wrong and we know the way to to fix their lives. We have the answer for them in every case. And if we take the role of judge, well, first of all, we need to remember one day we will face God's judgment. So, and that's kind of always interpreted this, right? Don't judge or you will face God's judgment. But I've started to think about this a little differently. And what I'm wondering is, it's even more about how we approach people. In other words, if we approach people with a judgmental attitude, what kind of response will that spur them to have toward us? Defensive and the same. And and so we see if we go on with verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Let me, let me give you the very literal reading of this. It's, it's nearly the same, but I, I think it's an interesting, the words, word choice. This is, if you just translate it literally from Greek. For as with the judgment you judge, so you will be judged. And in the measure you measure, so it will be measured to you. The attitude you bring to others will ultimately be applied back to you. And if you come into a conversation or or a conflict and you are seeing their wrongness, you're taking the role of of judge or measuring them, they are going to turn the focus and apply it to you. With the measure you use, so it will be measured to you. Now, Jesus says the opposite. True, earlier in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, we could say that's mercy from God, and I believe that's true. But I think it's also in our relationships. When we are merciful, they're more likely to, in turn, show mercy. I, uh, there's actually a Shakespeare play based on this verse. You may not be familiar with it. It's called Measure for Measure. It's one of, not one of his more popular ones. It's kind of an odd one. Um, it is a comedy. Do you know how, by the way, do you know how you know a Shakespeare play is a comedy? Everyone gets married in the end. So there's a bunch of weddings. Um, that's a comedy. Tragedy, everyone ends up dead. That's, so it's pretty clear usually. So in this one, there's a, a very strict, moralistic, he, he, he's a judge in Vienna, and he's sort of in charge of, he wants to clean up the city and deal with, with especially with the brothels, and he applies very, like, death penalty type stuff, and, and um, ultimately the, the play brings it around that he himself faces the same temptation. In fact, he gives in to the same temptation he's trying to judge others for, and he has to face the judge at the end. 
But it's a comedy. They all get married, so it's okay. But, um, and no one dies. So the, the problem is, is when we take the role of judge, it's, it's not the role we've been appointed, right? We have not been put in that space. God is the only one capable of seeing into people's lives and knowing what's going on, knowing their heart, knowing the, the, the things that are in their life. And God is dealing with people as he will deal with them. There's another reason why we're not really, we shouldn't take the role of judge, and that is simply we're not good at it. And that's where Jesus goes in verse 3. It says, why do you see the speck in your brother or sister's eye and you do not notice the plank or the log, or I would just say the two by four in your own eye, right? How could you see that little speck in your brother's eye and yet miss it? Um, and is it, there's a, a, a clear truth in that. We can see the faults of others so much more clearly and yet miss the thing in our own. And, and here's the thing. It, it's not that we don't see our own faults all the time. Jesus uses, a, he changes the verb, right? How can you see the speck? And then the second verb is you do not, the, the, the verb is notice. And that verb is in Greek, kata noes. It's notice or perceive, which is different than seeing, right? To notice or perceive. So, Noes, the noes part of that verb has to do with thinking in your mind. So it's not that you don't see it with your eyes, but your brain interprets it differently. So that you don't notice or your brain sort of reinterprets why what you did is not so bad, right? You may know in your mind, you know, know that you did the same thing, but your brain sees what you did in a favorable light where if another person did it, you would see it more clearly and how it was clearly wrong. Or even, you could also do in our words, right? We don't hear our tone of voice, right? Well, all I said was, you know, and we'll take ourselves very literally, but we hear the tone of voice in another person. Well, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it, but we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We don't notice where we are being... Um, wrong in this. And Jesus moves on to say, you, you hypocrite. Now, hypocrite, if I ask people what hypocrite means, they'll, they'll say someone who's pretending, who's putting up a false front. And that is the case that the, the people Jesus talked to would put up a false front of being more holy than they really were. But the word literally means underjudge. It's someone who places themselves in the role of judge, judging others. And so they decide, they get to look at other people and see their faults. Now, inevitably what happens is you become a hypocrite in the sense of you, are fault, you put up a false front. You don't live up to the standards you apply to others. That sort of ends up being what a hypocrite is. It says, you hypocrite, and we're all prone to being a hypocrite. And all of us can do that, to apply standards to other people we don't apply to ourselves. Um, But he says, first take the log, the two-by-four, out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Note, there is a place for for correction and helping others overcome sin. 
we're called in the body of Christ to, to love one, or one another enough to try to help each other overcome sin. Um, but it's not the first step we take. It says here, first, look to where, where sin is abounding in your life. Look to your part of the conflict before pointing out their part. Because the truth is, you know what I've, I've discovered, is people really like being corrected. And that, you know, when I come to them and point out something they've done wrong, they, they inevitably say, Pastor Mitch, you are so right. Thank you so much for telling me how I've erred. Is there anything else in my life you want to you point out? Verses 2 to 5, that was sarcasm, just in case anyone's very, very literal. Um, verses 2 to 5, who's it talking about? Your, your brother or sister in the faith, right? So it's talking about people you know, uh, people in the church, your fellow Christians, or even people you're close to, you have an established relationship with. The people who know you and are generally willing to listen. Um, but even then, you've got to be careful in how you approach them and, and do that well. What happens when you try to correct someone who's outside your circle? Be it a stranger or someone who there's some distance there, someone who doesn't have a reason to actually listen to you. That's what verse 6 is about. Think, think about that idea, the idea of trying to correct others, giving them your, your sage advice and wisdom when you hear this verse. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. So it's talking about what is, what is holy, your holy... How, how to live a holy life, your pearls, your, your, your wisdom, your, your great thoughts on how they should live differently. That's what he's saying is be careful. You know, don't, don't give this advice trying to correct others to, to dogs. It's not, Jesus is not being insulting. Dogs were those who are not part of the family. There's, there's two words in Greek. Kunos is dogs. It's kind of scavenger dogs. There's another word, kinarios, that's like a pet dog. Okay, little dogs. So in other places, it'll talk about little dogs who eat the bread from the table. In this verse, it's talking about dogs who are not part of the family. All right? These are people who don't have a reason to listen to you. Or pigs who wallow in the mud. Um, what will they do when you try to, to give them your great advice? When you see how they can do better, how they can live maybe more what God says or holy lives, they're going to trample that advice under their feet. And then they're going to turn on you. They're going to look at you and see any fault that they can find, any way you have fallen short. You say, but I've been forgiven by God. Well, they are turning on you, and they're not going to worry about that part. Have you ever had that? where you tried to give someone advice and then they turned on you and ripped into you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, When we get in a conflict, both sides are going to see the fault of the others. And neither are going to be willing to own their own part in the conflict. And what you get is the blame game escalation, and it gets back more and more, right? Well, you did this, and you did this, and then we start looking for more things and why they're wrong, and we get, 
we get, it's almost like we dig in, right? We've got more and more intent on looking for there. And then we want to get others with us to, to say, well, did you see what they did? And we want to gain people to, to see how the wrongness of them and never being willing to own our part within it. Let's watch a different alternative in our video. Hey, Bill. How was your weekend? Hey, boss. Uh, it was all right. Just hung out with the family. It's great. Hey, uh, do you have those new budget numbers with the new shipping costs plugged in? Um, no, I don't. You said you were going to send me the new worksheet, remember? I was going to plug them in on that. But I have that meeting with finance today. I need those numbers. I'm sorry. I was, I was waiting on that worksheet. You're right. I told you I would give you the worksheet, and I completely forgot. That's my fault. Is there any chance you worked on them at all? A little bit. I mean, I got it all in my head. Oh, I'm going to look so stupid in that meeting today. But wait, Carol. This isn't all your fault. I should have started them at least. What can I do to help out? Can we clear our schedules and get this done today? Um, yeah, I think so. Let me move some meetings around. We should be able to get those numbers done by the end of the day. Great. Thanks, Bill. Hey, no problem. Oh, you missed the 9 on the 10. So, it wasn't very different, um, but when one person was willing to say, you know what, I did say I would do that, do that. that was my fault. How did that change the direction of the conversation? He was then more willing to hear, oh yeah, this wasn't all your fault. I could have I been starting on this already and been ready to do it. And that's the, in the peacemakers, they say, we call that the golden response. That when one person is willing to own their part in the conflict, maybe not laying claim to all of it, but when they own the part that they are responsible for, it can change and elicit a different kind of response from the other side. He, in the, the training video, he talked about how Peacemakers was involved in a, a, a lawsuit, like they were, they were trying to help with the lawsuit that was going on between two parties that went on for six years. And then finally, one party of them said, you know what, I was really responsible. I, I shouldn't have done this, this aspect of it. And this is once someone did that, it, it actually began the process. Then they finally were able to unwind the lawsuit and work it through. Um, now, here's the thing. It, it, I think the hard part we have is, well, we feel like if we're doing that, are, are we saying we're the only one at fault? And we don't want to do that. We always want to qualify it. Well, I did this, but you did this. That doesn't work. It only works if you fully lay claim to the part that you did. Right? Even if you're only responsible for 2% of the conflict, you're 100% responsible for your 2%, right? It, it, and so being willing to own up to that, you know, I should not have said that. Or I know I came with a, a very harsh attitude. I'm sorry. Or, you know what, I could have really handled this differently. Please forgive me. If, if you lay claim to what you did your part, and then you're trusting 
maybe the other side will respond differently. You don't know. It is a matter of trust on that. But you don't have to lay claim to their part. It's simply being willing to own up to your part. And then who but knows, but may God's grace also come out in their response. Here's the other part of this, is we sometimes only feel like we're 2% responsible. There's a good chance we're 50-50, right? Like, we, 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 we misunderestimate our part in it. And, but by owning up to our full part, we're actually maybe even more willing to listen to the other side as well and, and hear maybe how they were hurt by what we did. James 3 we, we started our series with this, this verse, and it talks about what is going on underneath in a conflict. And he says, what, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Writing to believers, writing to people in the church, talking about how they're having conflict and, and quarrels. And, but he's saying, here's, here's what causes them. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. Like metaphorically, you go after it. You, you go on the attack. You kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And you ultimately says you do not have because you do not ask God. That's an important part. What, what's going on on the surface? What's led you to react the way you did? There's something you want. There's a desire in your heart that has become so important, if it's not met, that desire leads you into this conflict. When a desire becomes that important within us, it becomes what we would call an idol. An idol is anything other than God that we trust to make us happy or secure. Right? In ancient times, they had literal golden idols that they would pray to and ask, you know, you know, pray to bring rain or pray to bless us or whatever. You know, we have other things we've made idols out of. And a desire in our heart that we're looking to, instead of going, bringing it to God, asking God to, to, to meet the need in our heart, we want this thing. We think this thing will fulfill or make us happy or secure. When that happens, it has become an idol within us. And anger is a sign that an idol is being threatened. That an idol is not being fed and getting what you want. So when you see sparks of anger, there's oftentimes it's a sign that there's an idol somewhere. So how does it work? Well, it starts with desire. I would really like this. Now, it could be something good could be something that's, that's it's not necessarily bad, but it's something you still want, and it want it so much it gains a place in your heart. And then the desire becomes a demand. Well, I must have this. And, and of course, then you must give it or get out of the way of, of me getting it, right? So the desire becomes a demand. It, it gets pushed onto others. And then if that desire is still not met, then it becomes disappointment, you did not give me this. I wanted to do this. You, you, you didn't want to do that. We ended up doing something else. You, now there's disappointment. Maybe it's not, we're not actually been wronged in any way, but we're angry because we did not get what we wanted. 
Disappointment can lead to judgment. Because you did not give me, you are, right, frustrated. I judge and reject those who did not give me what I wanted. I impose upon you, I, I, you know, aim the blame at you because of what, what you did not do. And then lastly, we get punishment, punish. Because you did not give me this, I will, oftentimes the most common response is the cold shoulder, right? I will distance myself from you. I won't talk to you. I will somehow convey with my actions and attitude that I am disappointed with you because you didn't give me what I wanted. We find criticisms, finding ways of striking at them. We look at things they did wrong, right? That's how we punish. So I know that's a little theoretical. Let me share something that might help bring it into real life. We, our dryer died um, a couple weeks ago. So we, that, we bought our house a few years back. Four out of the five appliances have now died on us. So now we have an, a new dryer. And this week I was waiting for the delivery. Um, we, we ordered it like three weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, everything takes longer. And then we kept having a scheduled delivery, and then it kept getting delayed. We went from Friday to Monday, Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday. And I said, well, can I get it Wednesday morning? Because I have an afternoon afternoon thing. And supposedly had that set up. Get the call. The driver says, yeah, I have your dryer. We'll be there between 12 and 3. I'm like, I have an afternoon meeting. I I had something set up, you know. And so... um, um, I, I got a little mad. I says, well, can you change the route to either get here this morning or I tried to work it out and say, I, what, I can be back by three. Can you do it? You know, nope, we have a schedule. Uh, can't, can't change the route. Not allowed to change the route. Um, I called him back again half an hour. Like, can you call your manager to change the route? I have a set up. I've changed my schedule around three days straight to get there, to be here for this delivery, and then you change it again. And um, nope, can't change the delivery schedule. Not allowed to do it. Like, basically, you know, yeah. Um, I'm working myself up again. I got to... I'm sure meant you all would handle this much more calmly than me. But, uh, yeah, so, so anyways, I take a bike ride. Like, I, I need to get out. So I, I'm on my bike. That's my exercise, but also blow off a little steam. And I am fuming inside. And I'm, I'm like, it, it finally occurs to me, like, this might be a little more anger than is warranted. You know, I, I start to do it. And, and um, I'm like, what's going on? Why am I, I feeling this way? And, um, and then I, I, Wednesday was also the day I was working on my sermon. So, I realize, oh, God is messing with me. And he does this a lot. If I'm preaching on something, I don't think God wants me to preach on things theoretically. So um, I think he always kind of gives me something that will, will make it real. And so I'm, in a few weeks, I'm going to do a series on gaining wealth very quickly and the dangers of that. I'll just see what happens. Um, <laughs> So I realized, okay, 
I'm angry. Why? And so I, I actually analyze my own anger while I'm riding on uh, Sweetman Road, yeah, right, right by my normal route. And um, so why am I so angry? Well, first, I resent being jerked around, right? We all kind of do. I, the, the, and that's a valid resentment, like them keep changing the appointment. Um, and so th- that's, that's part of it. I'm angry because we really need the dryer. You know, has the dryer become an idol for me? Well, not for me, because I could easily revert to my single days and wear the same clothes for like three months. As long as it passed the smell test, I'm good. You know, but what I did greatly fear with trepidation was telling my wife the dryer was not going to show up again. I've had to do that three days in a row. So with fear and trem, I knew that that's, so that was the second thing. The, the third reason, and I think this one kind of, the insight I got is, I don't like canceling other appointments. Like I had to have that dryer, so I would have to cancel the meeting I'd set up at, at noon to meet someone for lunch. And I don't like, what, I don't like doing it because I like to be a man of my word. You know, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I don't like it when people change things around randomly on me, so... Um, so I thought about all of those. And first of all, what's the point in getting mad at the delivery guys? They're not the ones jerking me around. It was some bureaucratic thing. Um, so it wasn't their fault. It would do me no good to be mad at them. And and these were guys in their twenties. We ended up having a good conversation. It was okay. Um, the dryer, like I said, we had to get the dryer. So I, I would not, I was not going to make my wife angry. And um, so we're going to do, so I'll, and so changing around my schedule was not that big a deal. I switched it to breakfast the next day. We had a good time. All was good. So it wasn't a big, as big a deal, but thinking through why I got angry and it's that whole desire, demand, disappointment, just, you know, judgment. I was, and ultimately I was trying to think, how can I punish these delivery people? You know, what could I do? And there's nothing I could do. I need the dryer. But, uh, but anyways, I saw that in my life. And the question is, how do we, how do we see the idols, right? Because as long as, as the idol is there, there's these desires that we've, we've made so important. Um, if, 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 if we don't deal with them, even if we work through the immediate thing of the the conflict, we're just going to get in another one, right? We, we got to go deeper. We got to look within and think about what are the idols that, that we have in our heart and how do, we, how do we respond to those? And so they offer some questions in the peacemaker training. And I, I actually, they had four. I added the, the fifth, uh, the first one. For me, it's where does anger show up, right? If I'm getting angry, especially unreasonably angry, or it catches me, my anger catches me by surprise. That's a, I need to think about that. Why am I so angry? Other questions, what do I fear, right? What am I actually worried about will happen? Can I, not re, can I really not live without this thing? Um, the third is, is what will bring me happiness, right? If, if I can't be happy without this, if that's what's going on in your mind, there's a good chance there's an idol involved. Or what would you sin to obtain? If, if in your mind you're saying, I don't care, I have to have it, 
that there's a good chance that's an idol. Um, or when have you stretched the truth, exaggerated, right? When you're arguing for this, well, we just can't afford what you want to do, you know, but we can't afford what I want to do. You know, when have you stretched the truth in an argument to, to kind of get it? That's a sign that there's something that has a hold on your heart that's greater than God. And, it, and when we recognize these idols, it's the, the step, but, but then we have to deal with them. And how do we deal with them? We have to first and foremost lay them before God. Lay them on the altar. We have to repent and confess that we made something else more important in our life rather than the God of the universe. We have to remember that Jesus Christ is all we need. And when we have him in our life, whatever else, we have what we need to make us happy and secure and at, at peace in him. We have to declare it with our hearts and minds that he is the only one worthy. And sometimes we have to laugh at ourselves. That's what I did on my bike. I literally was laughing as I'm like, this anger is, is because God is messing with me and that's okay. He's enough. Um, so when we recognize these, these idols and then we decide in our hearts and minds that we worship one God and one God alone. And that whatever God does in this, we bring that need that we have to him to, to solve rather than making it into a conflict. Recognizing the idols in our life, the things that we put ahead of the Lord is, is not easy. And it's a lifelong process, but I think as we go, we need help. And so I, I want to have you consider... Um, the Lord is willing to be our mirror, right? When, when we pray or um, kind of especially in a, not praying like a list of things we want, but we come to God and we lift before him things, he can be the mirror we need. Psalm 139, it ends like this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We can make that prayer the way we approach God and invite God to speak into our lives. Right? He can be the mirror we need to see ourselves, to, to understand why we're angry, to understand why we're in these conflicts all the time, to understand the, the problems that we're facing. He can be the mirror we need. Would you... Let's just say this with me. Say this back with me together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What I want to do, I want to end this time by giving you a minute or two. And I know the worship team, we're going to go into a song soon after this. But um, I want to end this time by giving you a, a, just a chance to, to, we've said it out loud. I want you to pray it to God, okay? Pray this as a prayer silently in your heart and, and just see if God begins to answer. And let's allow God to speak. So let's say it together one more time and then I want you to, to, to pray it. Search me, God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now pray it to God in your heart.